This is Novel Marketing, the longest-running book marketing podcast in the world. This is the show for writers who want to build their platform, sell more books, and change the world with writing worth talking about. I'm your host, Thomas Umstadt Jr., and today's episode is from our brand new listener helpline. So if you'd like to leave your own question, give us a call. The number is 512-827-8377. Or if you're a millennial and don't like talking on the phone like me, you can upload an MP3 at novelmarketing.com. But without any further ado, let's play today's question. Thomas, I have no following. No readers, no platform. I have about 10 potential readers, family and friends, who I suspect would buy my book. So what I want to know is how to go from 10 readers to 10,000 readers in five years. Thank you so much uh, for that question. And I'm going to assume uh, that the caller is writing nonfiction. And for those of you who are uh, writing fiction and are asking the same question, we literally have an entire course that takes you through uh, the first five years of your career uh, to your first best-selling book. It has guaranteed results. And if you'd like the podcast episode version of this episode for fiction, it's episode uh, 92. And we will have a link to it in the show notes. It's one of our most popular podcast episodes of all time. So uh, I do encourage you to check out that episode. Uh, But let's get to the tall order of going from 10 to 10,000 readers in five years. And the first thing I want to say is congrats on 10 readers. Uh, The first 10 readers are the hardest. It often is very hard to get anyone interested at the very beginning. If you have 10 true fans, 10 people who are willing to read everything that you write and share the things that they find interesting, that is key. A lot of writers who are writing in obscurity don't even have that. So you're well on your way with the 10 readers. Now, the first thing I'd recommend is to research uh, the potential market size. So as you're writing a book, one of the questions you want to ask is, how many potential readers are there um, that I could reach? Because it's some markets are very small, and it may be that the market is only you know a handful of people for your book. There's certain kinds of books that don't have very big markets. Uh, a good example of this is memoir. Uh, the people who are interested in buying a memoir are typically people who are already asking questions about the author's life. Uh, for most human beings, that's a few dozen folks who are asking questions about your life and would love to learn more about it. And they're you know, typically family. Now, if you're an American president or a major celebrity, it can be millions of people, right? One of the best-selling autobiographies of all time is the autobiography of Ulysses S. Grant, which is uh, considered one of the great works of 19th century literature. And it kind of set the standard for what uh, autobiographies are meant to be. And that's kind of what it takes to be successful commercially in uh, the memoir space. And so you have to just kind of come to grips with that. And it's okay to write a memoir for a small group of people. Both of my great-grandfathers wrote memoirs, and those are treasures for their descendants. And sure, that's only a few hundred people, but it's still uh, a very valuable thing for the family. 
The other kind of nonfiction book that may have no market is ranting. Uh, political rants, theological rants, philosophical rants. No one wants to read the rants of a stranger. And in general, people don't want to read rants. So you have to offer solutions with your nonfiction. You have to make someone's life better in a tangible way. Uh, complaining doesn't sell. So with that outside of the way, you've done your research and you're like, there is a market of people who want and need what I'm writing. Let's talk about what it takes to find success in publishing nonfiction. And I've talked about this on my other podcast, but I realized I've never talked about it here, at least not that I could find. Success in publishing requires something called resonance. And this is true for both fiction and nonfiction. So I realize uh, I promised a nonfiction episode, but the fiction, it leaks in. Uh, in physics, resonance is, uh, it's actually a musical term is one way to think of it. It's when one note resonates with another note. Or uh, if you've ever been in, like, say, a bathroom and you hum, and it's like the whole room reverberates with that one note, that you found the resonance of that room. In physics, it's like pushing a child on a swing is the classic example. So if you're in resonance with the frequency of the swing, you're pushing the child just as she is swinging away from you. Uh, if you're out of resonance, you're pushing and there's no child in front of you, or even worse, you're pushing while the child is still swinging at you and you end up pushing the child off of the swing. Uh, so with writing books, it's resonance with culture. It's, it's getting the frequency of the culture around you correct. Uh, the one big word for the episode, zeitgeist. You have to be in with the zeitgeist, which is, a, I believe it's a German word for like the cultural melu which I think is a French word for the same thing. We need a, we need a good English word, a good Anglo-Saxon word for this concept of what everyone is doing and feeling right now. Although perhaps it's not very much an Anglo-Saxon concept since the Anglo-Saxons were a bunch of um, individualists, <laughs> angry individualists who didn't want to go along with what everyone was doing. Uh, but be that as it may, uh, nonfiction writers, you have to have uh, resonance. And one way that you know this is when someone says, yes, what you wrote puts into words what I have been feeling recently. That is the sign of resonance. And I first experienced this with my own writing in a major way when I wrote that blog post that went viral several years ago about dating and relationships. It spread from a blog that normally got 2,000 readers, it spread to a million readers in a month because the people who read it said, yes, this is what I've been feeling, and they shared it with their friends, and it got them talking. Now, it doesn't have to resonate with everyone, right? Some people passionately disagreed with the blog post, but it uh, came at the right time when culture was starting to reevaluate its methods of dating and relationships. That same blog post today would not have been as powerful. The moment would have been missed. And the same blog post five years sooner probably would not have been as powerful either because it was too soon. It, it's possible to be too soon in terms of resonance. You can be out in front of culture. So let's talk about how to find your resonance. And I've got uh, some big picture answers, but I also have some practical tactics in a good novel marketing way. We always want to give you something practical, uh, but let's talk kind of philosophical first. And the first one we've already hinted at, resonance is about timing. Culture changes over time. Uh, too early and you're out of step with the zeitgeist. You're pushing the girl off the swing. Uh, too late and you're cliche. You're pushing after the swing has already swung 
out of reach. This is writing the Y2K book in 1999, right? This, at that point, it's too late. There's already a dozen Y2K books out there. And if you write a Y2K book in 2000, you're really too late. No one wants to read a Y2K book in 2000. But uh, writing a Y2K book first, being the first one to market, is what put Michael Hyatt on the map. That was his New York Times bestselling book that made him famous, was a book about Y2K. And for you kids who don't know what Y2K is, it was this fake disaster. Well, it wasn't really a fake disaster. It was a disaster that humanity successfully avoided in the year 2000, keeping the computers from killing us all. Uh, it was a very exciting and very scary time uh, that, in hindsight, ended up being nothing. Because I tell you what, nerds are really good on a deadline. And the nerds of the world rose up and fixed all the computers just in time. Okay, so uh, this is why timing is so important, though. You want to write at the right time. And this is, and so you may be like, okay, well, how do you do that? Well, part of this is you need to be up on the conversation on your topic. You need to read all of the most popular books in your genre. If you're writing about parenting, you need to know what the popular books about parenting are saying right now. And it doesn't mean you agree with them, but you need to know what's going on in the conversation so you know which way to push and how to push. All right, the second way to find your resonance is it's about audience. Each community vibrates at its own frequency. And saying your book is for everyone is like standing at a bank of swings trying to push all of the swings at the same time. You just can't do it. It's, it's better to focus on just one child and push that one child than it is to try to push all of the swings at the same time. And I've been actually going to swing sets. Uh, it's funny because when I first wrote about this, this was more of a hypothetical, but now my daughter is old enough. She finally is enjoying swings for the first time. We'll take her out and we'll push her on the swing set. And uh, I was at the park uh, a couple weeks ago with my wife and my daughter, and I was trying to swing at the same pace as my daughter being pushed. And it was really hard. Like, staying in frequency was really hard. Uh, and I'm like, I remember this being easier when I was a kid. So I guess I've gotten out of practice uh, swinging on swing sets. I haven't done it in, in decades. Uh, but uh, this is where kind of observing culture is really important. And it's not just... Um, you know, reading the books, but it's also listening to the music and spending time with the specific people you're trying to reach. Uh, the more specific your audience, the easier it is to get into resonance with that audience. Uh, and, and there's a common way of a book failing and that's somebody shaking their fist at a group they're not a part of. So the classic version of this is an old person shaking their fist at kids these days, right? Like you kids these days have no respect or whatever the complaint is. And if you're not hanging out with young people and you, you don't understand what their challenges are, that book is going to fail. But it doesn't have to. A really great book uh, that I read uh, a while back is The Defining Decade. It's all about how to make the most of your 20s. And this book was not written by somebody in their 20s. It was written by somebody in their 40s. But she was a counselor who counseled 20-year-olds about maximizing the defining decade of the 20s and mistakes that 20-year-olds make. And it very much was a kids these days type of book. But because she spent all day every day talking with 20-somethings and counseling them, the book didn't come across that way. And I have read it and I've given it to many. Um, it's like 20-somethings. In fact, it's my go-to graduation gift now for both high school and college. And I've been surprised at how how many of the graduates who I've given the book to have read it, which is a big deal because graduates get flooded with books they don't read when they graduate. And of the ones who read it, 
they have all loved it because it was in resonance. It was answering the questions they were asking at that time and doing it in a way that was respectful and understanding of where they were. People don't want to be disrespected. They don't want to be dissed. Another thing that's important about this is realizing that being in sync with one community will put you out of sync with other communities. So when you're picking a single swing to be in resonance with, it means ignoring the other swings at the swing set. Women in nursing homes and men on basketball teams don't read the same books. So don't try to target both of them with your book. Uh, you need to know who your book is for, and that way you can know who to not worry about if they are unhappy with your book. If your book is for men on basketball teams and a woman in a nursing home leaves you a bad review, don't worry about it. She's not meant to like your book. In fact, her negative review might cause those guys on basketball teams to be more likely to read your book, not less likely to read your book. When somebody outside of my community leaves an angry review about a book, uh, that actually makes me more likely to read it. If it's a Christian book and somebody's complaining about how Christian it is uh, or how religious it is, that makes me more uh, like it. If it's a fantasy book and somebody's complaining about how fantastic it is, uh, that makes me more likely to read it. If it's a zombie book and somebody's complaining about all the zombies that are getting their heads blown off with shotguns, that makes me more likely to read it, not less likely to read it, because that's what I'm looking for in that kind of book, and so on and so forth. So another point here is to join the community you want uh, to reach. This is so important. If they won't accept you uh, in their community, you won't find a way to find resonance with them. If you hate science fiction and you want to write a book to fix science fiction, it is going to fail. This is what was wrong with the last Star Wars movie, The Last Jedi. It was not made by fans of Star Wars. It was made by people who thought Star Wars was something that needed to be fixed. And you know who doesn't think that Star Wars needs to be fixed? Fans of Star Wars. So making Luke Skywalker a coward, making the rebellion incompetent, and making Rey a nobody was the fix, quote-unquote, that broke Star Wars. That's not what the fans wanted. No fan of Star Wars is like, you know what I want to see in Star Wars? I want to see Luke Skywalker as a cowardly old man who's unwilling to do anything to fix the universe and to turn the Jedi Order into a cult, an evil cult. No one wanted that. And yet that was the fix because it wasn't made by fans. Marvel, on the other hand, is a, a series that is made by true fans, true believers. Lord of the Rings films, which were excellent and have aged really well, were made by fans. And you have got to be fan, a fan of the genre you're writing in. The arrogance of, I know better than everyone else who's come before me, and better than the fans, isn't arrogance, it's ignorance. It's ignorance of the cultural milieu. It is a sign that you're outside of the zeitgeist and that you're going to fail to find your resonance. Now, it could be that you're out of time, right? You're writing a book that won't be appreciated in your lifetime, and maybe decades later somebody will find it and be like, this is brilliant. Uh, but with the millions of books being published every year, it's really unlikely your book will be discovered by the next generation because somebody would have to find it and you're in too large of a haystack. And ultimately, we want to have success in our own lifetimes. All right, the third way to find resonance is to listen. Resonance is about listening. 
You need to be able to hear the music around you to be in tune with it. You need to watch the swings, etc. As a novelist, this means watching the movies that your target readers watch, uh, reading the novels that they read, and, and movies really more so than books because movies are what bring us together. Uh, typically, people read different books from their friends, but they tend to watch the same movies because there's far fewer movies that come out and far fewer movies that everyone watches. As a nonfiction writer, this means finding where the conversation about your topic is taking place and joining the conversation where it's taking place. Now, where that conversation is happening depends on your topic. If, if you're discussing uh, technology, the conversation is probably happening on Reddit. If you're discussing parenting, the uh, conversation may be happening on Facebook or in an app. So for my wife, the main community for her as a mom is the community on the What to Expect When You're Expecting forums uh, that came with the What to Expect When You're Expecting app that she got when she was expecting her first baby. And now that we're expecting our second baby, we're not really asking the questions of you know, what's it going to happen? Because, you know, we've been through it once before. Uh, those communities are still really valuable. And she's in a forum of other moms who all had babies the exact same month she did. So she's able to see them complaining about the same things. Uh, and it allows us to realize, okay, it's normal uh, to have uh, the challenges that we're facing. There are other parents who are facing those same challenges. And so if you're writing to parents, you want to be a part of a what to expect when you're expecting forum group so you can listen on the questions that people are asking. This is how you get in a resonance uh, as, with that topic. Uh, so look for the, and then while you're in that community, uh, the temptation is to just start sharing your wisdom and be like, let me bless you all with my great and wonderful wisdom. That is a mistake. <laughs> You're there to listen and specifically to take note of the questions people are asking each other. And then you want to answer those questions in your book. It's also okay to answer the questions there where they're having the conversation. In fact, it's very useful to be seen as an expert in that community. But you have to be a part of the conversation for a little bit before you jump in. Um, think about being at a party and there's a group of people. You walk up to the group. You have to listen to the conversation for a while before you blurt in otherwise it's seen as rude and it won't make any sense because they're like why are you talking about this uh, another way to listen is actually by blogging on the topic and watching your analytics carefully to see what's resonating google analytics will tell you if a, po a post is popular and it will tell you how long people are spending and you can even see where people are coming from. So if it's you're getting lots of shares on social media and it's resonating there, you'll be able to see that. You'll also be able to know if you're getting lots of comments. Although uh, comments can be hit or miss based off of the topic. Some topics lend themselves to comments more than others. We blogged on Author Media and on technical advice. I and mean, it was a very popular blog and it got very few comments because people would read, they'd get the answer and then they would leave. Whereas uh, when I was blogging on dating and relationships, even an unpopular post would get dozens of comments because it was a topic that people felt very passionately about. Uh, so do keep that in mind. Comments can be a trickier way of gauging resonance. And then uh, the fourth kind of esoteric uh, thing to think about before we get into the practical bits is resonance is about persistence. It takes time to get in sync with those around you. If I had spent more time on the swing set swinging next to my daughter, I would probably figure it out exactly how to get into sync with her. And it also takes practice to be able to play music in tune with the culture. 
and it takes um, so it takes time to to understand the music, and then it takes time to learn how to play music that's in tune. And then ultimately, what you're wanting to do is play music that's leading, where the culture is following you, where you are causing culture to resonate with you rather than the other way around. Uh, and it also takes time to build a following, and this is good actually. So I'm glad your question was structured in the how do I go from 10 to 10,000 in five years? Because it can actually be psychologically harmful to go from 10 to 10,000 overnight. Believe me, I know. <laughs> so I know what it's like to suddenly be thrust into the limelight and it is uh, psychologically painful. It's much better to grow your following slowly and steadily. Uh, it's better to approach this uh, like the tortoise rather than the hare. Resonance is not about platform. Uh, resonance is so much more than how many people follow you on so social media. Uh, platform is a sign of resonance, uh, but it's not how you make resonance happen. Uh, so one way to think of it is resonance is the horse and platform is the cart that's being drugged behind the horse. Uh, so don't put the cart in front of the horse and try to make the platform happen. Try to make resonance happen and then the platform will take care of itself. Uh, if you want to write books people want to read, you need to write the kind of books that people already want to read. <laughs> so don't try to make the universe fit you. You need to fit the universe. Uh, and the key to resonance is to reach beyond yourself, ultimately. Uh, authors who write from a selfish place rarely have the vision uh, to see how the swings are moving. Sometimes they're lucky, and they are just already in tune with the universe, and by making something for themselves, they're making something for others. And you'll you'll often see author like successful authors spouting this advice, and sometimes I feel like this is like lottery ticket winners being like, I just bought lottery tickets, and eventually I bought the winning one, and if you persist, you'll succeed as well. And it's like, yeah... Being born in tune with the universe like that is really difficult. Uh, and for every one person who succeeds, there are many, many who fail. Uh, whereas if you take a more methodical approach and you actually observe and make an effort to be in sync, uh, you're much more likely to be in sync. So with that said, let's talk about some specific tactics for building resonance and getting from 10 to 10,000 followers or 10 to 10,000 readers. And the number one tool by far that I would recommend for nonfiction is blogging. For someone writing nonfiction, there are a few things more powerful than a blog. Uh, blogging gives you practice. Uh, working with your message uh, gives you opportunities to talk about your message in a way that builds your credibility. It gives you opportunities to hear back from your readers, and it gives you those deliciously powerful statistics uh, where you can see how long somebody was spending reading a post. Because it's not just about visits, right? Somebody can visit, read for 10 seconds, and leave. You want to know if they're really engaging with it. And Google Analytics will tell you that. And every blog platform out there has some kind of statistics engine. Of course, I recommend WordPress.org, and I recommend Google Analytics. Those are the two industry standard tools. But there are many other tools that you can use that will give you that uh, feedback. So uh, what do you do when you only have 10 people? You write a blog post and you write that blog post for those 10 people. And then, or, or for the questions that they're asking. Then you send 10 different personalized emails to each one of them with a link to the blog saying, hey, I wrote a blog, here's the title, and you send them the link. Or a Facebook message or text message or whatever. You communicate to them however you normally communicate with them. And then you're wanting to see if, one, if they're gonna read the blog post, Two, if they share it, right? That, that's when you really know you're resonating is if they share it. And three, if they're friends, then read it. If the, 
you know, promise of the blog post is sufficient to pique their interest so that once it's shared with them, they actually click through to read it, and then if their friends share it. Uh, if, if you can get to step three, that's when you start to grow your following because their friends will become their own followers of your blog, and then suddenly the next time you're sending, um, you know, 15 people read your blog when it first comes out. Uh, in fact, this is still how I do it with my blog. My personal blog, I don't have like a big email list attached to it. When I wrote, write a blog post, I just send messages out to 10 or 15 friends on Facebook, personal messages, and they share it or not. <laughs> and if they share it, it'll reach thousands of people. And if they don't, it doesn't. And then hopefully they're going to start leaving comments. As you get more and more people reading your blog, you'll start to get more comments. And those questions and objections will help you tweak your message. Uh, I reader tested many of the chapter sections of my book as blog posts before putting them into my book. And the questions and objections that people left both in the comments and on Facebook were incredibly helpful. In fact, there was a chapter that I didn't post to my book because it was so misunderstood <laughs> and so distracting for the readers that I realized this was not the hill I wanted to die on. And I was able to find that out in the blog. One of those chapters did not resonate. It was too soon. The community was not ready for that part of the message, so I was able to leave it out. It's very powerful for testing and tweaking your message. And if you think that by blogging your book ahead of time, no one's going to read your book, you don't know how it works. <laughs> you don't get it. And if your publisher says that, run away from that publisher because they don't get it. Saying that no one's going to read your book because they read your blog is like saying that no one's going to watch your movie because they already read or the book that the movie was based on. The reality is the people who read the blog are the first in line to buy the book, just like the readers of the novel are the first in line to watch the movie. All right, so we talked about blogging. Now let's talk about the second technique, and that is speaking. Public speaking is another really great way to help find your resonance and to gain more readers. And while you can't reach as many people with speaking, right? I was able to reach a million people in a month with my blog. That's almost impossible to do with speaking. Uh, you do get better feedback from speaking. So if you're talking to a room full of 100 people, well, that's not a lot of people. You're able to look at their faces while you're speaking and see what is resonating and what is not resonating with your message in real time. This is so useful. Uh, one of the things I really like about public speaking is that feedback. I'm able to see when people are bored. I'm able to see when people are confused, especially if it's a smaller group where people feel comfortable interrupting with a question. Uh, those questions and those interruptions often help improve the speech. So the next time I am at that section, I um, you know explain it in a different way so that the question doesn't come up because I've you know foreseen the question. And the more I give a talk, the more polished it is. Uh, now sometimes people just ask really good questions, and uh, but I know I'm really resonating with the audience when people ask a question that's answered in the very next slide, and that often happens when I give a talk after a while. I'm tracking with the audience so closely and people are so excited to, to learn the next thing. They're raising their hand and they're asking a question and I just go straight to the next slide. Everyone has a good laugh. It's very satisfying uh, to be in that kind of groove uh, with your audience. And we have a couple of episodes on public speaking. If you're wanting to learn more about public speaking, we have episode 178, how to get your first speaking gigs, and one, episode 197, how to sell a ton more books with public speaking. Those are both episodes I did with James L. And uh, 
we'll have links to those in the show notes and I, I encourage you to listen to those if you're wanting to get into public speaking. So there's a whole lot that can be said about public speaking. We've just started scratching the surface on this podcast uh, and it is a topic I'm wanting to talk about more moving into the future. All right, so let's talk about the third practical way of uh, building that audience and building that resonance, and that is to start guesting. So guesting on podcasts is a nice hybrid between blogging and speaking. It has the reach potential of a blog, right? You could have a million people listen to a podcast in a month. That is technologically feasible. And yet it has some of the kind of emotional connection benefits of speaking. While you can't see the audience while you're speaking, if you're being a guest on somebody else's show, you are getting that real-time auditory feedback. You're getting those questions. You're getting those objections potentially. And you're having that conversation in a really powerful way. And the other great thing about guesting is you can do it over and over again on different podcasts. And each time uh, you hone your message, you get to know your audience a little bit better, you get to know your message a little bit better. If you watch uh, political candidates, uh, at the very beginning of the election cycle, their their language is very rough, right? And by the end, it's honed because they've given that same speech a hundred times or a thousand times. You'll notice political candidates don't use notes and they often don't use teleprompters either towards the end of their campaign, especially at the lower levels. I'm not talking about like president, but I'm talking about like somebody who's running for Senate in your state or Congress in your state. You know, they've given the speech versions of the speech so many times they don't need notes because they know it so well. That can be you with your area of expertise if you're doing lots of guest podcast interviews. And we have some exciting news about guest podcast interviews coming up, so stay tuned. Uh, we'll be announcing something relating guest podcasting here in a few weeks. All right, so some final thoughts is that is to listen to episode 203 about book marketing milestones. We've kind of talked about the philosophy of this and kind of the big strategies of going from 10 to 10,000. In episode 203, which has turned out to be a really popular episode that just recently came out, we got really good feedback on this episode on Facebook. Again, learning where the resonance is, right? How I find resonance on this show is the feedback that we get on Facebook. It's not just what comments people make, but also how many comments. If I get a lot of comments on an episode in the Facebook group, I know I struck a nerve and a lot of people when they listened to episode 203 left comments on Facebook saying this answered the question I've been asking for a long time of what to do next uh, so just go back a few episodes to the book marketing milestones and it goes into um, specific details of when to start your blog and when to start the rest of it our uh, sponsor today is a brand new course. So I'm going to be releasing several new courses uh, coming up. These are courses I've been building all year and I just haven't gotten around to posting, <laughs> and so uh, which I feel a little bad about. Uh, but this course is how to craft excellent blog posts. Uh, so if you are like, I want to get into blogging, I'm not sure what to do, or I think some of what I know about blogging is dated and out of date, this is a brand new course that I... Um, created this year or updated this year. And it's all about how to use blogs to build your platform, establish your expertise, and gain a loyal following. So it's a video course where I break down the 10 principles of an excellent blog post. So you can use this even if you're writing guest posts for somebody else's 
blog. And I'm working on a follow-up course, which is all about boosting traffic to your blog. But that course won't be valuable until you've already learned blogging fundamentals. And this is something I know a lot about. So I've, I have two blogs, both of which have gotten millions of views or over a million views with my personal blog and millions and millions of views on Author Media. Um, it continues to get just a, a staggering amount of traffic every month. And then I've also coached my clients to get tens of millions of views. Uh, so I, I know what I'm talking about when it comes to blogging. I, this is deep in my blood, and I teach you the fundamentals of creating an excellent blog post. This course is $30, but if you're a patron, you can save 50%. So and in fact, I'll be sending out that uh, message to patrons. So keep an eye on your inbox. You may already have the email with the special link to activate your patrons only coupon code to get this course for $15. And speaking of patrons, our featured patron is Peter DeHaan, author of Women of the Bible, The Victorious, The Victims, The Virtuous. Uh, Peter, thank you for helping keep novel marketing on the air and help uh, defray some of our expenses. We really appreciate you and all of our other patrons. And if you would like to know how you can become a novel marketing patron and uh, get access to the patrons-only episodes, uh, click the link in the show notes at novelmarketing.com. I was playing with my daughter, uh, Mercy, the other day, and there's this new game that she's uh, discovered, or I call the blanket game, which is where I'll throw a big blanket over her and be like, where's Mercy? Where's Mercy? And she's like giggling and she's trying to pull the blanket off of her head. And then, you know, she's struggling with the blanket and then she finally gets the blanket off of her head and she's just so excited. She holds up the blanket uh, for me uh, to do the game with her again. And she wants to do it over and over again. Uh, we typically get tired of the blanket game far before she does. Um, but as I was watching her struggle inside of this blanket, I started thinking about the hero's journey, which is a big aspect of kind of writing novels and how, in a sense, she's going through the hero's journey every time she tries to take this blanket uh, off of her head. Right? She's being called to adventure. There's a big low often where she gets so tangled she's not quite sure what to do. And sometimes she'll just start crawling in one direction as a way of dislodging the blanket. And then when she finally is able to emerge in, back into the light, she's just so excited. And of course, we're clapping and applauding her. Parents are easily impressed with their children. But kind of this longing for story, this longing to be on an adventure, this longing to overcome challenges is something that starts in us really early. And it's been fun kind of watching this uh, with my daughter. You know, she, she's so young. She doesn't even fully understand language yet. And she, but yet she understands overcoming adversity, whether it's getting back up if she's falling down, learning to walk or digging her way out of a blanket for the upteenth time. Um, we, it's, it's something that is innate in humanity. And as you write stories that capture that, you're doing a really cool thing. And uh, anyway, so those are some of my thoughts. Thank you for listening. If you have a question you'd like me to answer on a future episode, do give us a call. The helpline is 512-827-8377. Or if you're a millennial like me and would rather record uh, the audio and upload it through the website, you can do that as well. I realize telephones are not for everyone. Uh, and I just want to say thank you for listening to Thomas Umstead Jr. on the Novel Marketing Podcast, giving you innovative ideas on how to promote yourself and your writing offline, online, and everywhere in between.